just history. They are part of a bigger story pointing towards God's final rescue from the slavery of sin through his son Jesus. The Corinthian church and us today who live in the final age simply can't ignore what God has done in the past. He says why these things happened in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't fall. The problem for some Christians when they're tempted is that they think there's no way out. They have no choice but to fall, to give in. Sadly, I'm old enough to remember a 1981 song by Billy Field. It was a number four hit in Australia and it said this, When I'm off the rails, my resistance fails. Temptation's got a hold on me and I can't refuse because I always lose. Can't help myself. Bad habits. When I get the urge, I've just got to splurge. I'm a slave to all my desires. When I'm in a mess because I can't repress all of those bad habits. One of the excuses Christians make when they're being tempted is that they think they're going through what they're going through. It's unique to them. No one else would understand what I'm going through, how hard it is to resist. But there's nothing new about any kind of temptation. The Corinthians faced the very same kinds of temptations that the Israelites faced. But there's good news for those times when we are tested. God doesn't leave us to face temptations alone. He's always with us. He's faithful. We can always come to him. He always hears our prayers. Jesus taught us to pray like this. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil one. God will never put you in a situation that you can't bear or where there's no way out. You are never alone. You don't have to fall. Verse 13, it's such an encouragement for all Christians. Let's have a look at it. Verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. To show the Christian church that they must flee from idols, Paul reminds them of a sign that they've been joined to Christ. He says, taking part in the Lord's Supper, that's an outward sign that you've been set free. It's an outward sign that you've been united with Jesus and with other Christians. That's what it's saying in verses 15 to 17. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation of the body of Christ? Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. So what Paul does now is he's reminding them that eating and drinking together can be signs of being joined together. And while food offered to idols is still just food and idols 
They're just wood and stone. What stands behind idols are demons. So to eat food sacrificed to idols is nothing less than to participate with demons. So Paul's point is, how can Christians who have been united with Christ do this? How can Christians who are joined with Christ participate with demons? This would be to provoke God to anger. We see this in the following verses. Verse 18, consider of the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So we can see that Christian freedom means being free from slavery. If we've been set free from slavery, then we can't go back. So if Christians have been set free from slavery, what are we free for? And so now Paul goes on to explain that we are to use our freedom for God. Christian freedom isn't a licence to do whatever we like. It isn't focused on self-interest. It's to be used for the good of others, for building up others. Look what he says in verse 23. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. And so Paul gives us two situations how we can use our freedom for God. And again, he uses meat that's been offered to idols in the examples. In the first example, it's okay to eat meat offered to an idol in your own home or in the home of an unbeliever. That's what it says in verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But in the second example that we're going to read, you shouldn't eat the meat. In this case, the difference is that you've been told it's been offered to an idol. Why is it different in this case? It makes a difference in this case because it makes a difference to the person who told you. If you now go ahead and eat it, it might confuse them. It might offend them. And they might be thinking that according to your moral standards, well, their moral standards, their conscience, that this is something that a Christian shouldn't or wouldn't do. This might be sending out a message that eating food to, offered to an idol is okay in any situation. They not, might not be able to see the difference between eating a meal in a private home or in a pagan temple as some sort of demon worship. So even though you're free to eat meat that's been offered to an idol in some situations, that doesn't mean you're free to eat meat offered to idols in every situation. And so this is how Paul explains it in verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean not yours. 
For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. Paul's saying, you're free for God. So use your freedom to serve him in every situation and with everyone you come into contact with. A couple of chapters ago, back in chapter 8, he was saying, you're free to eat meat offered to idols, but don't be overconfident in your own knowledge about your freedom. Be careful because this could be a stumbling block to some people in the church who he calls weak Christians. They still might think it's okay to use their freedom to eat the meat in the pagan temples. But here in chapter 10, he's not talking about when you're with Christians, he's talking about how it applies when you're with non-Christians as well. Use your freedom wisely for the sake of everybody you mix with. Use your freedom for, for God in a way that doesn't make it harder for other people to hear and receive the gospel. Use it so that God gets all the credit, that he gets the glory. Don't use it so that what, how we use our freedom is a stumbling block for people to hear the gospel. And so he uses his freedom out of love for other people. And that's what he says in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Well, when we use our freedom to God, we're also to look to good role models. And Paul says to the Corinthians, follow my example. But he's not big noting himself when he says that. Paul's model was Christ. And we can see how Paul was willing to give up his personal rights and freedoms for the sake of telling other people about the good news that Jesus has set them free from slavery. Using our freedom for the sake of others will often come at a cost. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul said that Christian freedom means being free from slavery. He was warning the Christians, the Corinthians, that if you've been free from slavery, then you can't keep worshipping idols. And if you're united with Christ, then you can't be united with demons. But what possible relevance could this have for us today? In our culture, I can't imagine too many of you are going down to the local pagan temple and getting stuck into some meat down there that's been offered to a sacrifice, to an idol. We're not joining ourselves with other idols, are we? Of course not. We're Presbyterians. Our chief aim is to worship God and enjoy him forever. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We believe that the word of God is true. Surely we're safe. We're united with Christ. How could it be that any of us are like those Corinthians and have a foot in each camp? Well, the first thing that Paul said when he began chapter 10 was not to be ignorant. Don't forget what's happened in the past. Look at what's happened to Israel when they thought they were safe and secure. See how much it matters to God when you use your freedom to do as you like. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we really that much different to the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to? 
We might not have joined ourselves with pagan gods by going to some temple, but have we joined ourselves with something other than Jesus? Have we been enslaved by something which we claim to have been freed from? Look at the culture around us and what people are worshipping and what people are being enslaved by. There are so many idols in our culture. I just want to mention three that I think are particularly relevant to us. The first is money. Today it is so easy to get caught in a money trap. Listen to what Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 6 verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. They think if they can just get that job or that promotion or that breakthrough, then I'll reach that next level and I'll be able to get that thing. Then I'll be satisfied. But when we get that next thing, it doesn't satisfy, does it? We need something more. It's like being enslaved by money. It's like playing one of those computer games where you get to the next level and you get to that level and you've got to get to the next level. And when you get to that level, you've got to get to the next level. And you think you're eventually going to make it. But with, with money, you will never make it. There's always one more level. How foolish it would be to set our hearts on money that will ultimately never satisfy and it will never last beyond this life. When we set our hearts on money and what's in our bank accounts, it shows who we belong to. The second thing that enslaves so many people today is the approval of other people. So many people today are desperate, are craving for the approval of others in the way that they dress, the people they want to be seen with, the exciting things that they do and visit and all the things that we have to, cool things we have to post on our social media page and the crazy diets that we have to go on so we'll look like some underfed model. But how foolish it is to base our identity on being approved by that cool person or that guy or that girl. When the approval of other people enslave us, then what happens when we don't get that approval from the other people? It crushes us. We're destroyed. We become depressed because the opinions of people have become more important than what God says about us. If we're united with Jesus, what does God say about us? He says we're precious, chosen, holy people set apart for him. He says that we belong to him. That should never crush us. Why would you want to go and place all your hopes in the approval of other people when God says, I love you, I approve of you, I have set you free from the slavery of sin through the death of my son. How good is that? And thirdly, it's difficult to ignore the slavery of temporary sexual pleasure. It enslaved the Israelites, it enslaved some of the Corinthians and enslaved so many today. Our culture says that when it comes to sex, pretty much anything goes and the lure of sexual temptation is everywhere. It's on our screens, it can be in the office, 
can be in our advertising material. It's everywhere. But temporary sexual pleasure is just that. It's temporary pleasure. It won't last. And we've already seen earlier that in, the, in this letter that sexual pleasure is for marriage only. That's where it's good and that's where it belongs. So why would you deliberately go out of your way and put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted? Why would you put yourself alone with someone that you're attracted to? If you're struggling in this area, why would you put your TV screen or your computer screen in a place where you're not accountable to someone? Paul has urged us to flee from idols so that you, why would you want to return to them? Remember who you belong to. You belong to Christ. He set you free from the temptation and slavery of sexual temptation. Put your hope in his word. Ask him to change your heart. I'm not sure if you remember King David when he was confronted with a sin of adultery with Bathsheba. What did he pray? Create in me a new heart. So if Christian freedom means being free from slavery, what does it look like to be free for God? How should we use our Christian freedom? Well, we read in the passage that whenever we use our freedom, we should use it in a way that shows our love for other people. That means in every area of our life, we need to be deliberate and thoughtful about how we use our freedom. Are we carefully weighing up our actions about how they're going to affect the people around us? The example about eating meat offered to idols uh, in a non-believer's home, that was a bit complicated, wasn't it? Um, And that's because life's a bit complicated. In one situation it was okay, in another situation it wasn't okay. But we're given the principle to use our freedom for God so that others would be built up and that non-believers might more easily hear the gospel. Even if it's difficult to work out what to do, pray, keep this principle in mind when you choose how to use your freedom. We look before how money could enslave us, but we also need to realise that even if we haven't been enslaved by money, we need to carefully consider, how do I use my money? How we use our money can affect other people. If we're always driving the latest model car, if you're always as fashionable as me and getting the latest fashions, or we've always got the latest gadget, is that going to have an influence on other people? If it might be within your reach to be able to buy these things, but is that sending a confusing message to other people who might be more easily enslaved by money? In the same way, you're free to use Facebook. You can either use it to promote yourself or you can promote and serve other people. My wife, she's got a Facebook page and she tells me that there are people in this congregation who use Facebook in a way that's a real encouragement to other people. They put helpful links on their Facebook page uh, that have good links to Christian articles and they share their testimonies of what God's doing in their life, things that they've learnt from the Bible recently and how they're thankful to God. And you're free to use Facebook to you know, say what you had for breakfast this morning and how your kid got another A on their spelling test. But who's getting all the attention? Who's getting the glory when you post something on social media? How might that be affecting other people? 
Finally, let me come back to how we use Sundays. I said my poor wife, she wasn't able to perform in the school play because the rehearsals were on a Sunday and I'm sure Oliver Twist that year was just not the same without her. But her own father, who is a Christian minister who said she couldn't be in the play at the time, he now plays in an orchestra that accompanies the local musicals and they have performances on Sunday. How can this be? Well, this is how Christian freedom looks sometimes. When Jenny was a girl, her dad was the minister of a church and he felt that to let his child participate in something on a Sunday morning when his daughter would normally be in church, this would send a confusing message to other people in the congregation and in the community. And so he did it out of love for his own daughter and he did it out of, uh, so that his own people and his own congregation wouldn't send them a message. And so he took a stance and said Sunday worship is important. Now he's retired, he's still committed and involved in his local congregation, but he uses the orchestra as a, as a way to meet other non-Christians and to have an influence in his community that he otherwise wouldn't have. And so he's able to do this without compromising his commitment to meet with other Christians on Sunday. So in one situation he's free to do this and his daughter not free. And so it goes both ways sometimes. Use your freedom wisely to serve other people. So the principle is that we use our freedom for God so that he's glorified and we build others up. But it can be difficult. Think about some of these questions. Are you free to eat halal meat? Are you free to put the decorations on a cake for a homosexual wedding? Are you free to attend the wedding of a Christian and a non-Christian? Are you free to work in the tobacco industry? Are you free to sell office furniture to a brothel? Well, I'd encourage you to carefully consider these things. Talk about them tonight so that you might be able to build each other up. Well, finally, let me encourage you that God's word says Christian freedom means if you're united with Christ, you're free from slavery. If you belong to him, you don't have to be a slave to those desires. He will always provide a way out. He will always make sure that you can bear what you're going through. And Christian freedom means that you are free for God and his glory. Why would you use your freedom for anything else? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for setting us free